That was a great dinner. So great. Wait, where'd you park the car? Oh, the one I just sold at Carvana. What? When did you do that? When you were still looking at the menu. I went on Carvana.com and all I had to do was enter the license plate or VIN, answer a few questions, and got a real offer in seconds. They picked up the car already? No, I parked around the corner. But they are picking it up tomorrow and paying me right on the spot. Oh, no wonder you picked up the check. Yeah, about that. Uh, thought we were going halfsies. Sell your car to Carvana. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get a real offer in seconds. to the daily poem here on the close reads podcast network i'm david kern today's poem is from shakespeare i've read you plenty of shakespeare but that's by design right if we're going to read poetry we need to read plenty of shakespeare today i'm going to be reading act three scene one of hamlet it is probably the most famous well maybe the most famous poem ever written I suppose. Um, It is Hamlet's soliloquy, his to be or not to be soliloquy. You have probably typically thought of these lines as um, being about performance, but I wanted to read them today just to think about the language in them. So I'm not really going to read them in imitation of, say, Kenneth Branagh or Mel Gibson or Laurence Olivier or some other Hamlet. I'm going to read them with uh, hopefully an ear uh, and an eye for Uh, the way the words work, the way they play with each other and interact with one another. So this is the to be or not to be soliloquy. And again, this begins at line 55 in act three, scene one. If you'd like to follow along and I'll read through line 87. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a sea of troubles, and by opposing, end them. To die. To sleep. No more. And by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. To die. To sleep. To sleep perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised death, the laws delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes, when he himself might his quietus make with a bare bodkin. Who would Fardell's bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country, from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will, and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Thus conscience does make cowards of us all. And thus the native hue of resolution is sicklied o'er with the pale cast of thought. And enterprises of great pitch and moment with this regard their currents turn away and lose the name of action. Much has been made of the psychological depths of this poem. And certainly that's there. The characterization is is there, um, and there. And there's so much you can interpret. But I want to comment just briefly 
before I read it one more time, on the the way the lines work together. I find this a pretty difficult poem to read out loud. And I mean, the more I do it at any given time, the the better off I do at it. But I find it to be a, a challenging one to keep up with because of the way he shifts the tones and the paces. And I love how that kind of mirrors the way our minds work, right? Like it races ahead and then it stops and we think, or we stop and we think and we're slow. And then all of a sudden we're racing ahead. And of course that mirrors what's going on in Hamlet's own mind, right? The whole question of, of action. Um, and so the way that the language works mirrors that major theme in the play, but also the characterization. And again, I'm not going to get into that what that characterization means and the psychology of that for the play at large and even for this this soliloquy. But the way he he gives us these these moments where you feel like you're supposed to race ahead, and I'll give you an example here. Um, the bit, okay, so it says, to be or not to be, that is the question. Even to be or not to be by itself feels contemplative in some ways. Like the way you have to form the words to be or not to be, it's very difficult in my, in my experience anyway, to do that very quickly and still enunciate, to be or not to be. It's just very difficult. And that is the question. That is the question is a phrase that does kind of roll off the tongue, but it kind of forces you to be slow in your whole delivery of that first line. So it sets the tone. But then we get this great and gem in, in the second and third lines. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. So that's this great, gets you, you get this great flow, you get going. You don't, if you're an experienced poetry reader, you're going to recognize those engendments and you're going to keep flowing with them. And then it says to die, to sleep. And then we get this long dash, this M dash in most versions. And then it says no more. And by a sleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. So it says no more and then it picks up like he's thinking the pace of it picks up again and you get a couple more enjambments and he uses that enjambment. I mean, this is, you know, if you're a poetry expert, you're like, come on, get on with it. But I, I just find these simple things that great poets do um, to change the pace and to get us moving ahead uh, and then slowing down so ingenious. And I think that's, this is an example of why Shakespeare still lasts, is still the most influential poet of all time and why great Shakespearean performance is so valuable because you can capture that. Um, and you can also interpret it. You can play with it. You can subvert it, all that kind of stuff um, that performers like to do. But it's such an amazing template for, um, for imitation, I suppose, um, but also for thinking about the way poetry works and the way poetry is primarily above all else about the interplay of words um, and sounds. Um, and you can't, like the images matter, but first it, it's the way words interact with each other that is central to, to what makes poetry poetry. So I'm going to read it again. Again, I'm, I'm going to try not to over and perform it or over interpret it. I'm going to try to just kind of go with the pace of the language and see where it takes me. I'm going to um, leave in my mistakes. I usually read it multiple times and I'm able to cut things up so it's more enjoyable for you but uh we'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and leave some of that in this time if we'll see how how bad I do now that the pressure's on to be or not to be that is the question whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them to die to sleep no more. And by asleep to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished to die, 
to sleep. To sleep, perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love, the law's delay, the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes... <laughs> and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes when he himself might his quietus make, quietus also there, some people say, with a bare bodkin, who would fartles bear to grunt and sweat under a weary life, but that the dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, puzzles the will and makes us rather bear those ills we have than fly to others that we know not of. Thus conscience does make cowards of us all. And thus the native hue of resolution is sicklied o'er with the pale cast of thought, and enterprises of great pitch and moment with disregard their currents turn awry and lose the name of action. This has been The Daily Poem. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another one. <laughs>